0: Wandering Journal at Stories That Matter Studios. I'm Nance Haxton, and this is The Streets of Your Town. The podcast that takes you on an audio journey highlighting a different slice of Australian life each episode. Buckle up to meet a great array of ordinary, everyday, incredible Australians. This podcast is brought to you by DM Podcasts, part of Diamantina Media, with more than 25 million downloads for a range of shows such as The Batuta Advocate and Chat 10 Looks 3. How do you come back from devastating defeat? What do you do to recover when you realize something you believed in is not anything like you thought it was? Mel Manley is the owner of the Imperial Hotel at Umundi, which under her creative guidance has become the main meeting place in this bohemian hamlet in the Sunshine Coast hinterland. She's also a great believer in giving back, and so supported the establishment of an orphanage and charity in Nepal, in the hope of giving children there a safe place where they could receive education, good food and were safe from harm. But years later, after gaining the trust of the children in the their care, she discovered those children had living families and were not, in fact, orphans. As Mel later realised, this was part of a global trend. The number of orphanages across the developing world has grown dramatically in recent years. More than 80% of children in these orphanages are not orphans at all. Research shows that children are often taken away from their families, trafficked into orphanages and used to generate funds guns in a form of modern day slavery. She's now the chief advocate for the charity Forget Me Not, which has reunited 700 orphans from Nepal, Uganda and India with their families, and also supported them for years to readjust to normal life. Mel tells how she came back from the devastation of realizing she had been so cruelly deceived, and how we can all learn to look for the gift in terrible events. Mel, wonderful to meet you, and thank you for joining us on streets of your town.
1: Yeah, well, welcome to Yumundi. It's a beautiful village and it's a lovely day to be sitting up here on the veranda at the Imperial and having a chat and watching everybody walk up and down there the street. Are. It's a bit of a quiet day today. We've got people wandering around very slowly though, it
0: has to be said, Is or is that sort of the Umundi style of things? I think really?
1: it's a, a little bit of both. <laughs> wandering from coffee shop to coffee shop and just chilling out checking out all the interesting little bits in our village. A bit, bit less busy than a couple of days ago
0: At when s- the famous Monday markets, of course, were Absolutely. on.
1: Absolutely, and that's one of the beauties of Monday. Every mm-hmm. day is different in Monday It's <laughs> true,
0: because that's brought a huge financial boon to the area, but it sort of builds up and then goes away, doesn't it? Twice a week. It's yeah. Yeah, been a funny yeah, phenomena.
1: Yeah, it is, and it, and it does create a different vibe every time. And it, every market day feels different too, like, depending on what who's around, who's in town, is it a locals' day or is it visitors from out of town, or yeah, and and as you can imagine with COVID, everybody's travelling a lot within the state even let alone domestically and yeah it's been pretty hectic. <laughs> I
0: noticed that and with the COVID year and you won 2020 pub of the year I think wasn't it? it? that, Is oh, that right? uh, It's the award uh, Traveller's Choice yeah. Well, three, no, I mean yeah. No, that's not um, an easy achievement in a
1: COVID year let alone in any oh, year you I know. Think, yeah and, and it was just um, well surprising for one and we were re- we were just yeah, we're blown away. It was pretty cool. <laughs> it
0: says a lot I think about the um, esteem that people hold this lovely, beautiful old style Queensland style pub in, you know, with these beautiful big verandas and must be a lot of work to look after this old girl.
1: Oh look it- it is a labour of love but it, it is love so and mm. and it represents our community and it's a meeting place for our community rather than a, than a just a pub it, it, it's a place where people meet and we can do things art shows and um news lots of music and yes yeah, so yeah. you, you take pride in having a lot of the local musos coming totally here. yeah and mm. and representing our, our local area we, we have a lot of live music in the beer garden and well, pre-COVID, we had a lot of live music in the brewery. <laughs> However, you know, uh, we're getting back to there. We've still been trying to hold the odd gig to keep things ticking over and support some of our local artists. The, the ones in the beer garden are fine because that we can still do those, but having our big gigs in the brewery has been a little more tricky. Yes. But we've done seated gigs, but it's very hard when you just want to dance. 2021
0: is <laughs> going to be interesting, isn't it, and how we, we all come out of that. It is, but, you know,
1: people... people... People seem to be adapting so well. I I was really surprised with you know Queenslanders and especially people up here are fairly independent thinkers, but how everybody just rolled with it. I think we did an amazing job, don't you? Yeah. I
0: think so. We've been incredibly lucky. I talked to some of my friends overseas who, oh. so many of their friends have had COVID or. Yeah. Oh,
1: it's devastating. Yeah. And I think being an island too, mm. being, Australia being an island is a lot easier for us to control. And our weather. I mean, mm. hello. Yes, the warmth. And being in Queensland on that island, mm. I think we're in the luckiest spot on the planet. <laughs> almost an island in, in an
0: island, almost. <laughs> almost. When the, when the borders are up. So, how long have you been here in New Monday for, Mel?
1: We bought here in 2007. Uh, and we probably moved here full time around 2011, I guess. Yeah. So you're,
0: you're rusted on locals
1: now? Or, or do people oh. kind of think, oh no, they've still, they came in a bit late? Oh, look, I, you I, weren't grew, born here. I grew up in, on <laughs> sheep farms out past Dubbo, and unless you were born and bred there, you were really, never really local. But here, every <laughs> the thing that is probably uh, one of the, the beauties of UMundi is everyone's very inclusive, and a lot of people have come from somewhere else. So it's always, hey, there's someone new in town, let's meet them here and take them out for tea or blah 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 oh, and I, I've, I've really something that Craig my husband and I really noticed was how inclusive people are here and really welcoming and it was part of the part of the thing that made us want to buy here was the the vibe of the community you know?
0: and we read a lot about uh, the big rental boom that's happened around here Ooh. does that change things does it put pressure on on a town like Imundi do you think
1: I, well look I, it, it does in the sense that there's probably people who want to live here who just won't be able to afford it. I'm hoping that a lot of these southerners who have bought property up here are going to rent it out for a decent price. <laughs> but, hey, who knows? I, I don't know. They're lucky
0: they're in such an inclusive town as Umundi. Well, it, yeah. In that sense. They'd better come and sign up and get checked over. <laughs> and have dinner at the pub. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what is it, if you had to describe Umundi in a, in a couple of sentences, what is it that you love about the place? What do I love about
1: it? Mm. Um, I love the variety of people, the level of creativity and, and again, the inclusiveness the sense of community but the quality of the connection with the people in town is just second to none
0: seems to have actually evolved quite I mean I've been coming up here myself over decades and you money seems to have kept that that little nub of that boho you know element that keeps it you know fresh I
1: think. I, and I think it's the number of creatives that we have mm. that live in not necessarily right in the village but who who the village is their centerpiece for so mm. I'm for this morning I introduced myself to a guy I go to the local gym down here at Yamundi pool and I've been training with my girlfriend for uh, years and we can see this guy curly hair he's a video bruder <laughs> and he's an amazing artist we're about to build a little hotel out the back here it's a it's an art hotel oh wonderful 15 rooms and it oh what an exciting development (laughs) that shows your optimism in the future i would have thought um Mm. short-term accommodation in your monday is a thing and we do weddings and and have gigs and things and and Mm. parties and whatnot at the hotel and one of the things that we found is that the the requirement for short-term accommodation and people wanting to go the markets people wanting to you know just come out for a weekend or come Mm. out for a couple of days uh and yeah there's there's A lot of the B&Bs that were here have been sold for private homes, and so they've reconverted into private homes. And yeah, there's still a few, and and there are Airbnbs, but to get a group of twenty. Is, is tricky. Oh, wow so an art hotel
0: what does that look like or well, how will that look do you think? Uh, it, oh, hopefully it looks all right I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Tapping into the artists in the area yeah what, what so each, each
1: room's going to f- feature Ooh. at least one or possibly two Ooh. or three local artists so ceramicists and painters and sculptors and uh, yeah and, and like I said the guy I met this morning is a very well-known artist I just didn't know that was him and <clears throat> so I'm heading out to his gallery tomorrow. <laughs> oh, beautiful. So when do you think that this will be up and running? Well, That's depending it, on the weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, should be around July sometime. Oh, great. No, yeah. it's definitely well underway. Just so 15 rooms and a nice outdoor pavilion, outdoor seating area and a big garden. I, I'm very big on plants and gardens. So. I
0: noticed that in your big garden. <laughs> it's very
1: green. I well, mean, and look at the, even this beautiful veranda. You've got lush greenery everywhere. No, and, oh. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I... My husband and I've got a property up the road, and it's 10 acres of greenery. So, a lot of these are clippings and it reflects the rainforest y surrounds, really. Oh, just the it? green, and if you look at the beautiful green mm. park and all the big trees down the main street, Mundi is green. And one of the things that brought us to Bundi, we were up in Bundaberg before this, and Bundi's right on the beach, and so it's quite harsh. And we'd come here, we'd go, oh my God, soft and green. <laughs> so yeah, I guess that's one of the things that we really noticed, and was one of the things that attracted us to the village. Like yeah. a big green hug. Oh, it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so much more nurturing soft <laughs> I loved it
0: so you're not only investing in this beautiful local area but also in a, a, a very interesting charity that I was hoping you can tell us a bit about I noticed your elephant at the front of the pub is might be a good place to start with yes. bottle top so that's all going towards forget me
1: not is that right yeah it's to create awareness for the work we're doing basically in India Uganda and and largely mostly in Nepal um we're Back in 2006, we helped start an orphanage, which we thought was a great thing at the time. Orphanages over there are fairly, some of them are pretty grim. Oh, Mm. anyway, really grim. Yeah. Uh, No mattresses on the beds, kids walking around with just a bit of a string around there, no pillows, no clothing, no food. And the abuse that goes on where there's multiple hundred children Mm. in one place is uh, inevitable. Uh, So, yeah, so we thought that would be a good idea and through investigation and through many years of getting to know this original group of 20 girls that we were looking after, then when they began to trust us, they said, you know, auntie, I have a mother. (gasps) And I'm like, oh, yes, yes, but we had death certificates, all stamped, signed, sealed, delivered. Mm. to say they were actually orphans, and they said, Oh, no, Auntie, this is fake. And we're like, What? And so the previous orphanage had made files where we. And duped you. Duped, duped us, oh, yeah. Oh, that would have been devastating. Oh, and look, it was, but. Every orphanage overseas would should be a, becoming aware of this and looking to change mm. their model. And it was a really tricky thing because we thought we were, you know, we did it from our hearts, thinking we're of helping course. these kids and mm. we're going to give them education mm. and whatnot. But what they really wanted was to be with their families and, and have it, be supported in their family, be supported mm. in their families. Mm. And it really, I can remember, we got to crunch time around 2012, and we were in court in. Nepal, which is another whole journey in itself, Goodness. getting custody of these kids so that we could have the right to reintegrate them with their families, because at the time we're an INGO, an international non-government organisation, so by law you need an NGO, so a national government organisation by nationals, and it was our NGO, our partner in Nepal, that knew full well these kids were from other families or had families who had been duped into uh, signing over their kids which most of them were illiterate and didn't know what they were signing and thought they were giving their life savings for their children to go to Kathmandu to boarding school. And to get an education. It was, education was the lure mm. uh, on most accounts um, and with civil war and um, poverty these things, were, you know, this was their hope that somebody, there's no social welfare like we have here or... No and uh hope that their children might become a doctor or a lawyer and be able to support them in their old age was a very big lure to give over whatever they had and their child. But you know they were told, oh you can visit them anytime and then these traffickers who had all fake IDs etc would just give the documents to the orphanage and change the kid's name, never to be seen again. Oh and if the parents came to visit them they were Well they didn't know where to go. They didn't know where to go. Mm. And the documents that they had probably were bogus anyway so if they tried to Find out where they mm-hmm. were. They came to a dead end, but yeah, a couple of the, um, couple of mums of the girls that we were looking after actually found us. And, and another thing was, one of the girls had uh, two sisters who had been adopted internationally, and whilst her mum and dad were still alive so one went to Italy one went to France and luckily the um, families who adopted these two kids were very conscientious about in maintaining a sense of culture for the girls and brought them back to Kathmandu and we found their sister and now they're all they all are in touch they know where everybody is they know what's happening and yeah, so there's a lot to be said about oh. different things, and um, how to go through the court process. You were able to oh, resolve that. that a, I mean, that's just shocking for you to go through. It, it was, a, and it was a long time. It took mm. us about two years to get through that, that court case, and mm. a lot of. And you're running your businesses here in the meantime. Oh, and yeah, oh, and all, all the people mm. that support Forget Me Not were doing that, and mm. it was a, it was a very uncertain time, but it was the girls we said what do you want and the girls said let's fight so that we can go home and so whatever the whatever the girls wanted that's what we had to do and surprisingly we won and it was on a strange look that we won and I think the solicitor for the other side fell in love with our head of country and um, I think he thought he was on a promise that he wasn't <laughs> And so he gave us a little bit of information, and it was that bit of information that helped us secure the victory. So, yeah, it was a it was an amazing outcome. What a rollercoaster! Everybody said we would not win. This is Nepal. You're never going to win. You're foreigners. You're versus a national. And and our NGO were women who were um, doctors of. Uh, wives of doctors and lawyers and uh, politicians and um, army colonels and, you know, high-class women who we thought don't need any extra money, um, were mothers themselves, you know, all these things that we thought were really, really important. Mm. Uh, I didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it was, some of the girls used to videotape, uh, record their conversations and send them to us and they were just... There was a few really nasty pieces in there. However, we're not associated with them anymore. We're nothing like that organisation that we started. So
0: where where have you
1: evolved to now? Well, we're... FMN, or Forget Me Not, now is a charity that works in collaboration with governments overseas. And we go into the orphanages, we assess the children with the governments, and then we, once they're rescued from that orphanage, we provide a transit home and a methodology where we find their families, assess the family situation, and then we slowly reunite those children with the families. Sometimes it's fast, it depends what's happened to those children whilst they've been in these institutions. It depends on the family situation. But some, we did a a rescue here at the end of last year and some of the kids could go straight home. They'd been taken, they'd only been away for a shorter period of time, like four months, six months, and their families were looking for them and they were easily able to accommodate their children back home. So that was great. But in our circumstance, we'd we'd had children living with us for 10 years and some of them were as little as four when they came to us. So it was a longer process. So we had to begin the journey and um, find finding our reu- reunification officers would trek Because some of these are really, really remote places. Mm. Like you have to drive 12 hours, then you have to get in a jeep for four hours, then you have to walk for two days to get to some villages, you know. Um, and then we've had things like earthquakes in 2015 mm. like in Raswa. And, and, and that just you know, changed everything with roads and tra- traffic and trying to find people so our reintegration officers walked and walked and walked and walked to find these families and some of them were hoping they said please don't tell me that's my child, uh, I've been told they're dead and that it's too, too hurtful to even talk about them and one of our beautiful reintegration officers, Sandra, he just said please just come just come and I remember, remember her father knew that there was two redeeming marks a, a funny mole behind the ear and a, a scar up here and the first thing he did was lift her fringe saw that checked behind oh. her ear and went oh, she's mine. <laughs> and the, her grandmother was with it and it was I've got goosebumps. Oh, and there's a little um, <laughs> there's a little YouTube actually called Going Home Alicia's mm. Story and oh, her grandmother so we could have a look at that. Yeah, have a look mm. and her grandmother says um, it was like god had laid gold at our feet. Oh. And just one of those, and you just go, oh my God, and every time you see these families reunite, it's just, you just go, oh my God, I can't imagine what that would have been like. Mm. Thinking that your child was dead, only to be reunited with them and seeing them healthy and fit oh. and. Oh, look, no, credit to
0: you. I mean, that's that's almost a 360 degree from, we had, from where you started. We had
1: to totally mm. up... And it was really... Because like with donations and sponsors, they were totally miffed. You know, they thought they were here mm. doing one thing and we had to say, well, actually, guess what? What we've been doing is actually really wrong. <laughs> it's not good for the children. Mm. They don't want to be there. And here's what we can do. And it took a little while to for people to process that, but if we've always gone along the lines of know better, do better. And so, yeah, so we're, we're, we've turned way away from the orphanage model, and we've turned to a model where we support the families to be able to support their families. <laughs> so microfinances, like in Uganda, we do things like child-headed households, because with a lot of the civil unrest over there and AIDS, a lot of the adults were gone so we either do the nana project where the nanas are supported um, financially to help keep their kids oh, in schools mm-hmm. and but keep the family unit together mm-hmm. the siblings mm-hmm. or we do child headed households so where the oldest child is um has the responsibility and we do things like we make mud bricks we breed goats we breed rabbits and they're able to keep their families together because all they want is to be in a family and I can remember some of the girls from Nepal, I know they were going back to situations where they were living in almost slums. And I was like, so, where where do you... Auntie, I just want to be with my mother. I want to be with my sister. And I don't care how I live. It's more important that I'm with them. Because, you know, I've had a lot of people say when I've been telling the story, aren't they better off with you? Mm. And one of my friends summed it up so beautifully. He said, that's like saying... Uh, that my kids should be brought up by Kerry Packer because he's got more money. Mm. Does that? Because that's the comparison, really, ultimately, isn't it? You know, but is he going to provide mm. them the love and the nurturing that only a family can give? No, he's not. Mm. And if we can support those families, then the opportunities are better for everyone. Oh, one of our mm. wonderful stories: uh, there were three sisters that we mm. were looking after, and. Um, mum was a single mum and we trained her up to be a tailor, a seamstress. Mm. Well, she's now running a business and she's got mm. three or four machines and she subcontracts out. she's trained other people and she's supporting all those girls. And they're just amazing. What these girls have achieved, it's just amazing and they're thriving now that they're connected back with family. Have you been able to reunite everyone, Mel? Uh, There's been over 700 reunifications. That's incredible. And, you know, everything's... It's not just the the thing that... It's hard to articulate quickly Mm, mm, is that it's not just oh here's your child see you later (laughs) so it's a five-year commitment pretty much so there's we visit them on a the reunification officers go and do support visits Mm, and every family is different so it depends on what they need and and how established they are financially mentally um, physically um, all those sorts of things so we and the girls sign that the carers or family take sign a contract that the girls aren't to be married until they're 22. That's big for those areas. Totally. I mean, this is an area where
0: sex trafficking is rife and, you know, particularly from the orphanages. What incredible. And they
1: commit to that? Yeah. And Ooh. that's part of... that's the con- It's a legal contract Ooh. unless it's the girls' wish and then when the girls wish that we have to go and talk to them and make sure they're very, very... They know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but most of, yeah. So that's been, that's been huge. And their education comes first. Mm-hmm. And most of the girls are really, really, I say girls, there's boys too, but um, the original 20 were all girls. And we don't get to meet. We don't interfere with the rescues from the orphanages now other, other than we basically fund it. We're a funding body so that our team in Nepal and our team in Uganda and our team in India can do this work. And our, our work in India is free schools for the slum areas. So we've got three different schools, one under the bridge, one by the river, and one in California slums. So, <laughs> oh, I don't know when you get time
0: to sleep now by the oh, that's
1: incredible. There um, are many, many good people doing the work. I just help create awareness and funding. So the people actually doing the work are the ones who deserve all the credit, and they're absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. And,
0: and it brings us back to your Monday pub. I noticed too um, when I was doing a little bit of research was you had a – Night here, where you showed that foreign correspondence story yes. on this. Yes, yes. So, a bit of a fundraiser. So, really, yeah. it's, you know, even bringing awareness here to this sort of local community of yes. these international issues and what
1: we can do to contribute. And we've done lots of dinners and things here Ooh. where we, and, and Dip Tesh, who runs the Indian projects, so the schools under the bridge, he came and spoke. We've had Anshu, our head of. Um, Nepal come out and speak at nights here a lot of them are at the pub um, yeah and we've just done fundraisers in the brewery and things like that and it's been it the, the village is very aware of what the work that we're doing and that's great but we need to get it more and more and more and more out. Because a lot of people, we, we've got a change agents program that we started about oh, three or four years ago because so many young people want to go and volunteer. Mm. There are a lot
0: more. Well, that's right. The volunteerism, as they call it. There's some problems there too, aren't there, Yeah. Really? So that's why
1: yeah. our part of our job is to get 16 year olds and above talking to their peers about why, unless you are a skilled person, a doctor, a nurse, a teacher or whatever, then go and volunteer then. But you want me teaching your kid I'm not a teacher do you know what I mean you mm. need to be a skilled person to mm. go in and do those things and volunteering in orphanages you're just creating a demand for an orphanage so be and when you donate to an orphanage you're fueling the demand for orphan for orphans so they have to find them from somewhere because demand exceeds supply 80% of all children globally are not orphans that are in orphanages and that's a statistic that Kate Van Dor, one of our founders Forget Me Not, she did her PhD, she's a human rights lawyer at Griffith, And um, this book here, um, Modern Day Slavery and Orphanage Tourism, which is one of her contributions after a PhD. It's incredible to hear that
0: and truly, like I say, credit to you because it's not easy to come from those blows, I think, Mel, particularly as a a big business person yourself as well. Is there anything you can say to people when you just get floored by something? How do you come back from that? How do you recover?
1: Just every time you get smashed, and it happens frequently, mm. just know there is a gift in it. At the time you're going, gift, I'll give you a gift. But <laughs> I, every time, and a really dear friend of mine, and she, um, she's a dear friend, but she's also my, my, my business coach, if you like, her name's Nikki Stafford. She always said to me, just know there's a gift coming. There's a gift in it. And only time will show you what the gift is. And do you know what? As so many times I've gone, "Gift, there's no bloody gift." Why are the, you know, these people are terrible and what they've done's awful and how could they do that? And, mm-hmm. I... and it, like, with the being dubbed about the orphanage. It showed us there was a much, much bigger problem and a much, much better, more true and genuine story to tell. And that was the gift. And now the girls, its just what we're doing now is sustainable. It's it's something that will help so many people, whereas what we are doing before was like a Band-Aid on an abscess. It was- And forget me, not
0: bigger than you ever could have imagined. All those different countries you're in now. And well, yeah. yeah.
1: And the number of kids that we're helping now, like, yeah. we looked after 20 kids for a long time. Yeah. Like I said, up and up to the end of last year, we've done over 700 reunifications, and that we're still some of those don't require monitoring anymore. Mm. But some, you know, we're just. We're run off our feet, and the, and again, demand is exceeding supply, but we've got to be able to raise the funds to be able to do that. And that's to do it properly. Each one we do has to be done properly, and it has to be done over that time frame. We can't just dump and run and go and do another one. So,
0: uh, we should encourage our streets of your town listeners to look for Forget Me Not Online. Yeah. It's a website
1: www.fmn.org.au. Mm-hmm. And you can just, and we're a D, we've got DGR status for tax deductible, which is. Thank you, Kate and Andy, because that was huge to get DGR status. Been massive. Yeah.
0: Well, and people should come by the Monday pub and say hello. Hey? And, oh, why not?
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, it sounds like uh, you've, you've lived in country towns most of your life. Yes. So, what would you say to these people who think that you know it's all about being in the cities and country towns? are Pretty boring in Australia. I think you need to get out
1: more. <laughs> A place like your money. Oh look and you know every country town has a different flavor but there's always something there's always something good and I've always found people are easy to talk to and there's always everyone's got a story and I think if you take the time to talk to people and find out what their story is you'll be blown away by just the adventures and the what some people have been through and what they can add to a town it's amazing. I mean look at you
0: Mel I thought I'd be talking to the publican of your money and you know I have been but also Gone on a tour around the world from Uganda <laughs> to Nepal and, and India. So I really
1: appreciate you taking us on that journey today. Oh, thank you for taking the time to talk about the work that FMN are doing. We're very proud of it.
0: Streets of Your Town is produced by Nance Haxton, a.k.a. The Wandering Journo, with production assistance from Michael Adams. Site, soyt.substack.com